Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra in on-trend hues like green, citron, and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome. If you are a first-time listener, thank you for joining. If you are a regular listener, thank you for joining. So regardless, I'm giving you the same greeting. For those of you that have been listening for a long time, you can hopefully sense the tone of like, you know what, you're, you're kind of cooler than these people that just jumped on. <laughs> I kid. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. This is a show called 100 Words or Less, the podcast in which I discuss and have a conversation with a person who I deem as valuable to this independent music community. And the guest this week is a doozy. He's a huge one. And when I say huge, as far as his stature within the independent music community, it is Dallas Green from a band or project or whatever. I think, I guess you'd call it a band now called City in Color. He also previously played in a band called Alexis on Fire. I've known Dallas for, gosh, 15 years. I'll I'll explain more in a minute. I got to get into some business. I got to drill down on some things that I'm focusing on this month. And that particular thing is fundraising. So for those of you that regularly listen to the show, know that I have a very specific way in which I want you as a consumer of this product to potentially throw your vote of confidence in this thing. So I'm looking to raise money. Everybody's looking for money these days in regards to their own content production of whatever it is that they're doing. And I get it. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's trying to make these things into something bigger and then hopefully it'll open up other opportunities. I just honestly, I do this for fun. Granted, would I love for this to be my job? Of course. I mean, that would be incredible. But I I mean, I love what I do. 
And I love the fact that I can bring these really cool conversations to you, the listener, on a weekly basis. But obviously it takes time, it takes money, you got to pour all these things into it. The only reason that I'm really coming to you is because I see you out there. There's thousands of people that download this show on a weekly basis. That's amazing. I'm humbled by that and that's great. But only one way in which you can be really like, you know what? I pick you. I am putting you in my ear holes and that is a deliberate choice. And here, here is some money to showcase that fact. So there are two ways you could donate. One, visit patreon.com backslash xpurposex or you can visit 100wordspodcast.com and on the right side of the page, there will be a bright yellow button that says donate. The difference between those two, patreon.com is basically a monthly subscription service that I use where basically you give $2 a month, $24 a year, whatever increment you decide, and then that comes into my bank account each month. And I really, really appreciate that. There's a few of you that do that already, and I am so thankful that you do that because straight up, I've developed friendships and relationships with people that have done that. And it's so great to have that sort of direct connection with people who find value in what this is. That is one way. And then the other way is just a straight up one-time donation. And I don't give a shit if you're donating a dollar, $10, $50, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, it's that validation, that validation that everybody is looking for where it's just like, hey, here's a dollar, man. I really enjoy what you're doing. Just letting this bubble to the top of all of the content that's out there because everybody has a podcast. That's not special. Everybody's a band. That's not special. But for those of you that hang out with this show on a weekly basis, I want to encourage you to reach into your pockets. And if this is your first time listening to the show, I've got an archive, a veritable treasure trove of previous conversations I've had with people. So after you've kind of poked around, if you feel like it's worth something, then go ahead and donate. And I really appreciate that. I just only come to you twice a year in April and November, hat in hand, kind of being like, hey, could you, can you throw something my way? So thank you very much for listening to the plea. Here's my background with Dallas. Like I said, I've known him for 15 years. I consider him a very close friend. Even though him and I speak maybe once or twice a year, he's one of those guys where we spent a ton of time on the road and him and I have spent those those supremely valuable times of us driving through the night. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat or vice versa where we've just really bonded. You know, Him and I, like I said, I would consider him a close friend. And watching his kind of rise to prominence has been, it brought me nothing but warm, fuzzy feelings inside to just be like, dude, he's doing what he wants. He's being creative. He's being artistic. And it's incredible that he is at the level that he's at. He's basically gone from playing in a melodicish hardcore band to being a singer-songwriter that's kind of traveled in the, you know, whatever the warp tour world early in his career and then completely blew open the doors and now he can play with country artists and he can basically he can play with anybody. And it's amazing to watch that. The moment and I actually mentioned this in the interview. The moment that I mean, it, it almost brought me to tears. And I know it sounds melodramatic, but it, it it did where I remember I think one holiday I was in uh, Las Vegas hanging out with my grandparents and I, I went out to pick up some Starbucks for the family. What do I see in the little free single slash card giveaway that, you know, I know anybody that goes into a Starbucks knows what I'm talking about. And I see Dallas's face looking at me and it was just one of those overwhelming moments where it's just like, it's so amazing. My friends are doing some amazing things and they're influencing culture in ways that I just never, ever anticipated happening. And it, it, like I said, it warms my heart. So I was very calculated about this. I didn't want to have Dallas kind of too early in this show's career. I wanted it to basically not waste his time because 
frankly, even though he, he would talk to me three years ago when this show first started and like 40 people are downloading it versus now where, you know, tens of thousands of people are downloading it. So I kind of wanted to, you know, make a trade off to where it's like, okay, I'll bring you on when it's, when it's reasonable and you're going to be impacting the most amount of people. And the conversation I had straight up was emotional. <laughs> there were certain moments where it was just like, I just, uh, I don't know. I feel very grateful to have been involved what I've been involved in as far as independent music is concerned. And then to just hear Dallas's story just kind of crystallize it for me even more. It was very special. And I'm very glad that we were able to document that. And this is what I'm bringing to you now. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Dallas Green of City and Color. And I will talk to you after the interview's over. recently cleaning out a lot of things in my house and uh was you know i i am a absolute pack rat for all of my old band stuff and so i tripped across a photo of you watching taken play at the lockport skate park in uh you know upstate new york uh not i think that was outside of buffalo right yeah it's a, i believe it's in a place called lackawanna yeah that which is like there's all those sort of like uh yeah, just those little tiny kind of suburbs of Buffalo, Cheektowaga and things yeah. like that. A lot of a lot of native names. <laughs> right, right. And so I saw I, I looked at that picture and of course like uh, immediately memories came flooding back and that was the first time we actually like met in person, right? Like when you you guys and us played together at that skate park on in the middle of the skate ramp, right? Right. Now, was that the tour? Were you guys on tour with This Day Forward or was that you guys with Curl Up and Die? Yeah, I think it was we were with Curl Up and Die because you guys just hopped on that show. Yeah. And like we were like you guys were so nice and friendly, but we were just so blown away because you guys were like, hey, so like we're really influenced by you guys. And it was like huh, like because literally to up to that point, no one ever said that. And then watching you guys play, it was like, oh, yeah, I see the elements of the influence. But it was, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, they're doing something that's like completely different but i see it at the same time like i don't know it was just such a still to this day i just reflect on that being like that's weird because that was the first time anybody said it to us well this it definitely i think it's probably i mean i can imagine how interesting that would be for you because i mean the first time somebody says that to you it's always strange because you think to yourself like well i'm just what like i'm just this guy in a band who's playing and you know you, i mean you want you hope that it's like it's coming across and you're affecting people but I mean, like people like myself and you, you never really assume that it's going to work. Um, <laughs> but then probably to be from where you're from and to have these like, you know, goofy kids from Canada being like, Hey, we really like your band. And I, I know that's just, yeah, it's, but that, that's what I think what makes it even super, like even more special was that it really was just like, you know, like sometimes I like to get very romantic about what music can do, but it really was like, just the music that you were creating had some strange effect on five guys or kids from a small town in, right. in Canada. And, and, you know, it was, you know, I would say like you and, and a band like Monine were very, uh, like just sort of came out right at the right time for where we were and what the five of us wanted to do or what we were looking to try to, to try and create ourselves, you know, and, and mm. it, it was great. Yeah, it's great. It was a great moment. Because, I mean, at, at that time, too, you hadn't even released your first self-titled full length. And so I presume when you reflect on that sort of time, I'm sure it was just like 
was it the the idea of just like kind of one foot in front of the other like our, our goals are so modest to be able to be like oh yeah let's just play a show in the states and like let's do this next thing yeah absolutely i mean wade was really the one who he was really the one who kind of like took on the get it like getting us on shows responsibilities like we would obviously like on the weekends and stuff because i was the kids were still in high school so we would try to play around small like the, the canadian versions of those suburbs you know like all the little towns around toronto and things like that um but then it just got to the point where we were like well you know like wade started kind of meeting kids who were coming over to canada for shows and i believe the guy i forget the guy was it lockport john was that what we used to call him the kid who promoted that skate park show I think that was his name, but I think so. Yeah. It was something like that. Well, he had come over to to St. Catharines, I think, for a show. I think like Wade had done a Hope's Fall show in St. Catharines. It was like Hope's Fall and Love Lost, okay. but not for not uh, Love Lost, but not forgotten. And I think he had come over, and we had we had played that show. And so you know, Watport John was like, "Oh, well, I do shows at the skate park in, in upstate New York. Would you guys ever want to come over?" And we were, of course, we were like, "Sure, we're gonna have to sneak over the border." but we will definitely come. And that's kind of, that's, that's sort of how we started playing in, in like Rochester and places like that, just because, you know, it was like, oh, here's a show, let's go play it. And like you said, that was definitely like, the height of our goals were were, were very, very, very tiny. You know, it was just, can we play another show on the weekend? And right. It, it really is. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's true. And it's funny because obviously being so close to you guys throughout the duration of your career, it, it was one of those things where it was like, even when you guys were at the you know height of popularity where it was like, you know, you were obviously thrust into a national spotlight in Canada and Australia and UK and stuff. It, it seemed like it was still just coming from that place of just absolute cluelessness where you guys yeah. are like, I don't know what, what should, what should we do now? I guess we'll do this. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was like, Oh, people like you in Australia. Oh, okay. Well, should we go there and play maybe, you know? <laughs> so we did that and it was good. And so we thought, well, maybe we'll go back next time. Right. You know? And I mean, that's kind of, yeah. that's pretty much still how I do everything, which is sometimes, you know, it can be frustrating to a lot of people, but it's still pretty fun. Right. You know, it, it keeps everything kind of, it just, yeah, it keeps everything sort of fun and, and, uh, exciting, I guess. Well, yeah. And especially too, cause like, e even though you obviously have to operate within the context of a music industry and the, the livelihood that you have created via your music, but the approach in which you take it, could be from that place of what you not only what you were but like you said what you're currently doing where it's like oh yeah i guess i, I guess i can do that now yeah like, sure i'll do that thing like <laughs> well yeah i mean it's, it's, um, it's but it's cool because you know i i know like because i've i, I guess i've always wanted to be a, a musician or a, like a, a songwriter or a, you know i've always wanted to be in a band but i never had goals of being like a popular guy in a band because I just never thought it was, it was possible, you know? So when we approached starting a band, just like I'm sure you guys did, like we just wanted to be in a band and play. And then when that happened, it was like, okay, well let's keep doing that, you know? And like, Oh, maybe we should make some shirts, things yeah. like that. And, and that's, that was always my, my goal. Like I've, I always say this, it's sort of become something I say a lot, but I think it makes sense. Like for me, success is the ability just to continue. So that was, totally. that's sort of, yeah. really, that, I guess that would be the main goal if, if I if I were to like look at my whole career and, and that I that I focused on throughout the whole, from the day I met you at the skate park to now is is 
It's just the ability to continue doing it on whatever scale that may be or whatever style of music that may be or whatever uh, direction it may take me. But that, that, that's sort of, I guess, the way I approach things. Hitting on a point there where uh, you were you were born and raised in southern Ontario, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, specifically in St. Catharines? Saint, yeah, St. Catharines is where myself and Wade and Steele and Jesse, our original drummer, that's where we were all, all born and raised. And Georgie was was born and raised in Grimsby, which is only about you know twenty minutes away. But that's that's why we kind of right. that's our home base, I guess. And your your family structure growing up, it was uh, mom and dad, and uh, you know how what what were they doing for a living as you were uh, growing up? Well, my dad started off as kind of like a he was like a banker, you know, like a sort of managed a credit union. And my mother was an insurance salesperson. They sort of stayed that way for a while, and then my dad left that and kind of he sort of got into concert promoting and things like that it was it was sort of strange it wasn't i guess i had started playing music around that time when i was you know like eight or eight through ten and he got into uh yeah like putting on shows and stuff and so i grew up kind of around music a lot like going either working you know like helping park cars or taking tickets or things like that, like running around backstage and, and things like that at, at, at shows. And What sort of concerts like was he, was he promoting? Like, was he, was he doing, he obviously was doing shows like you and I know, but like he was doing larger level stuff. Or yeah. Was it smaller yeah. Scale he things? did like, he, there was this a couple of years in a row where he did this like really big, like country music festival out at this park called Courtcliffe park. And like, you know, like if you like it, Charlie pride played one year and like, it was just like a bunch of like uh, wow. a bunch of sort of eighties country, popular stuff at that time. And then he did him and his, this is just, just a strange, I don't even know if I've ever told you this, but at one point him and a okay. partner of his, they owned the largest circus tent in the world called the Moscow circus tent. I'm not even lying. And they would do, <laughs> <laughs> and they would do shows in it and like around, around like the St. Catharines area. And um, one time he did a motorhead black Sabbath show but it was Black Sabbath was the third wow. singer who I can't remember his name, but not even Dio, the third right. guy. And right, right. Yeah. Like things like that. So I kind of like, like the first time I ever crowd surfed was at a show my dad did in the tent. Very weird. Uh, yeah. No, so like just, just so I'm understanding this appropriately. So he, he owned a giant tent and he basically looked for places to set it up officially and then be able to promote said show via his own networks and what have you. Correct. Holy shit. <laughs> I know, sounds, I don't, it I don't, sounds kind of like it's like a life of a, a, a gypsy in a way. It, it's like, but you have the uh, you have the suburban backdrop of of St. Catharines, and then you have this 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 guy who owns a huge tent that puts on shows. It's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty it was pretty strange. Like for a couple of years when he was doing that, because it was just like every summer it'd be like make or break kind of based on whether or not the show would go off well. You know what I mean? And right. um, it was right, always yeah. weird. Like you know, some it would always be in like a weird little at like some fair or something and you know some bands would come and play and i don't know it was pretty yeah it was pretty cool just to be like sort of uh yeah. around that as a kid and and see the inner workings and I, I don't know if that had like an effect on me wanting to be in a band because i had already sort of been playing guitar and, and was really into music at the time but it definitely gave me a little sort of insight into that world of things and so you're uh you're not an only child you have no a brother, I have a, correct I have or am, am i a sister, that's right, that's older right. Sister. And older or younger? Older sister. Okay. 
was she helpful at all in regards to the exposure more or less of like independent sort of music or did you get ushered in via a different channel? Well, yeah, I got, my sister was was super cool when I was young. Like she, you know, she made me, I remember going to the first day of sixth grade and my sister had made me wear, like she bought me and made me wear a class t-shirt to to school. Like she was already in high school, but she was like, go wear this to school. Like the kids in eighth grade are going to freak out kind of thing. Like, and right. So she was always kind right. of telling me, like, you know, she bought me the first pair of Doc Martin, got me going on stuff like that. And then, but she moved, when she went to high school, she moved really heavily into, like, sort of early 90s, uh, like, R&B and stuff like that. So that's why I have an affinity for, like, Mary J. Blige and Sade and things like that, because my sister was into it. And, and I was just, like, I'd come home from school and my sister would be watching the video channels and be listening to stuff like that. And I would just sit and watch it with her, so... I think that's where I get my appreciation for like the female voice and singing, uh, especially the way I do. But so for me, the the way I got into sort of independent music and and things like that was when I started obviously like listening to harder music for me, I guess you could call it harder music was when the grunge explosion happened. So 91, 90 through 92, I got into, so I'm 11, 12 years old and I got into, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and bands like that then opened the door for me to sort of get into heavier music. Like when I found out mm-hmm. that, you know, the Melvins were Nirvana, like Kurt Cobain's favorite band that got me into the Melvins. And then I started learning about drop tunings and things like that. And then kind of from there, as like the early nineties went on, I started just discovering, you know, you know, I found quicksand and then obviously quicksand opened a wormhole for, for everything. I guess right. I, I think that that experience of the thirst of for more is so um, is so indicative of obviously that time in most people's lives where they just like once they like you said open a wormhole once they kind of open one door and it's like oh my gosh there's like shelves upon shelves of these bands and like yeah. where do I go and then all of a sudden that door opens and you're just like oh my god there's like another sub basement behind this right and the great thing for us like not necessarily for the band in Canada at the time, but Canada had an, its own complete response to the grunge culture as well, right? Um, and, and a lot of bands that probably most American people, maybe even people in the rest of the world wouldn't know about because at that time, without the internet, it was very hard for bands to get noticed outside of their own country. There are the, There's all, all other cross-section of all of these amazing Canadian bands that I grew up listening to that... I just love that, you know, those were the bands that were playing in St. Cat because, you know, we were sort of a smaller town in between Toronto and Buffalo, and it wasn't like a lot of national touring acts were were coming through. So I got to see all these, like, just these amazing Canadian bands that meant so much to me that I think also helped me sort of find that, like you said, that thirst or the, the drive to want to be in one of their bands or just to play, you know? Right, right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June. And you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment. Focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you. But for two, look back. Be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But Where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better, therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool 
at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Like you said, there was always kind of a desire inside of you once you picked up a guitar and been like, oh, yeah, I'd like to, you know, make music or be in a band or whatever. So Helicon Blue, like, was that kind of your first sort of foray into playing like active shows and like playing shows outside of your, your general area? Or was there something prior to that that was, you know, even more, uh, you know, whatever, rudimentary, awful, however you'd like to peg yeah. it? <laughs> Well, we had a band, me and a couple other people had a band um, before that, which sort of like I was really into Mogwai and instrumental stuff at that time. So we had a band that mm -hmm. kind of like, and there was like, a, there was also like a sort of cool space Steve bunch of Canadian bands um, on Sonic Onion Records that were, that were, that I really liked a lot too at that time. So I'm, we, we kind of made a band before that, that was really just instrumental and we played a couple of shows and. It was a lot of fun, and we had like this. We opened for this band called Tristan Sionic from from Canada, who were like this super cool. Do you know Tristan Sionic? They they were a super cool Sionic Sionic uh, band. Yeah, no, no, for sure. It was definitely I, that. That's the thing that always really perplexed me when I started to get introduced to the Canadian more mainstream Canadian music scene because of Taken's affiliation with, you know, Goodfellow and Sonic Onion, yep. where it was like, obviously I knew, I knew your area was fertile for, you know, hardcore and then melodic hardcore with, you know, whatever, chokehold, grade, you, you name it. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, there were so many bands that I was just like, 
dude, no one's heard of that band yeah, exactly. here in the States at all. It didn't make sense in my mind because I was like, but they're like good. Like, yeah, exactly. They, there's no reason that people people and, and that's what was always funny for me about you guys too where it was like i don't understand why the u.s just summarily always rejected what you were doing it was like i don't i don't get it so i, I don't think, you know that, that's something for later on but yeah. yeah well so anyways we had this band and it was like an instrumental cool kind of like spacey you know jammy band and it was a lot of fun but then i started kind of getting back into singing you know because i i kind of had i had sort of stopped singing i was singing a lot in high school and then I, yeah, I just didn't want to anymore for some reason. And then, um, did you have, sorry to interrupt, but did you have, did you have bands like in high school that you were like singing and fronting for? Well, I, I started, I was singing a lot. I was doing a lot of like a solo stuff, like acoustic, sh- like, um, acoustic ah, shows okay. around town and Got stuff it. because I didn't really have a band. I didn't really have anybody to play with. Yeah. So I would just play like open mic nights and, uh, play shows, you know, just acoustic either covers or like some songs I had been writing and. But then I started this instrumental band, and and that was a lot of fun. And but then I started writing more songs again, and then that was that sort of what became Helicon Blue. Like I wanted to sing and play, play guitar in a band, and that was when we started. I first started getting like I guess you could say like a following. You know, like we would play shows in St. Catharines, and, and like a whole bunch of people would come and know the words and mm-hmm. things like that to our original songs, and that was pretty cool. I, I do. I, 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 I remember when you showed that to me when we were touring together, and it's funny. The the thing that I've always been um, uh, has always impressed me about you was the fact that it's like usually like your your journey as a musician uh, was unique in the fact that you were usually your first bands are are awful, like they're yeah. like just musically terrible. But like when you when you just casually were like, oh yeah, I did this thing that you know like. It was whatever. Like you didn't like build it up to me, but then you played it, and I was like, "This is a band that could exist right now, and you can have no embarrassment about." So I've always been jealous in the fact that you've <laughs> you've been in good bands for for most of your uh, life. I mean, I'm sure if I went to a coffee house show at the time, I might be like, "Oh, who's that child in the corner playing yeah. guitar?" But uh, yeah, <laughs> well, but still, I, mean, I, I was like, "That's that's good." That's nice of you to say, right? I mean, I I pretty much feel. I pretty much feel the way that you just described uh, like about stuff I did yesterday, but you know, that's just me. If there's one thing about yourself that I know is uh, you are uh, critical beyond critical of your material. And if you ever, if the job of you promoting your own music was solely rested on your shoulders, city and color would be playing to negative four people. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be playing the comedy show <laughs> <Yeah>. with <Dick Hazard. laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, so that I've just always i I think you're 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 uh, you know because a lot of people obviously look at what you've done in your musical career, and some would probably be like, "There's so many labels that you can put on it from like, oh yeah, like you know, overnight sensation, or like, oh, it's amazing he's doing these these cool things and he's been working hard at it for a, a long time." But there, like, there's such a lineage in what you're doing, where it's like, well, like, yeah, like that step led to that step, kind of like what we were talking about in the earlier years of a band, where it's like, yeah, you just kind of put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, and like, yeah, of course, like, absolutely. It's it's been it's that. Funny. It's strange because I, it's funny, like when you you ask me, like, was there like you know what were you doing before that, and I think and I say like, oh, I was just playing these acoustic shows. <laughs> like, I was. 22 right. <laughs> years ago and I'm, I'm still playing those acoustic shows just to, on, a, on a different scale, you know, but I totally, <laughs> totally. Like, I look at it that way. Like I, I, right before Christmas, I went and did some solo acoustic shows in Canada. Granted they were, you know, there was like 2000 people there every night, but I looked right, right. at it the same <laughs> right. way. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do these some solo shows 
Yeah, yeah. That's a, this is something I was going to bring up a little bit later, but it was, um, you know, the last time that, that we saw each other besides, you know, when you, when you played in Chicago at Riot Fest was obviously the, the Greek theater show, which I know was a hugely monumental and special show for you. Um, and I felt it was honestly like sitting in the crowd watching you. It was one of those things where it was just like, uh, it, it was very emotional for me because it was like watching you being able to kind of realize this, like, what the fuck am I doing up here moment yeah. of uh, being at this iconic theater, you know, being able to be like, Hey, here's my friend, Ben Harper. Like, wh- like, like you would ever be able to say that. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, the, the, the concept of, of fame and, and uh, adulation and people that surround you, like y- you yourself have, have never changed as a, as a human being. You've always been this really just, you know, a nerdy music guy and uh, people, people that put expectations on you of who you should be, um, that comes from them and not from you. And I, I wonder, like, obviously you've had to, you know, struggle with the idea of, of fame and and the attention that comes with the fact that you put your music out there. Um, I'm sure it's just a constant uh, uh, struggle uh, versus the people that like want to know you because you now are a known quantity and like, it's cool to know you versus the people who actually like know you for the human being you are. Yeah. It's something that, I mean, thankfully I, who I am and I figured out who I was very long time ago, you know, and I think, you know, knowing the type of person that I wanted to be allowed me to deal with all of that stuff you were just talking about a lot. It was easier for me to um, shrug anything that I thought was, uh, anything that I thought was insincere or coming from the wrong direction as far as like somebody that I was meeting or, you know, I was, it's very easy for me to just blow it off and not, uh, not let it affect me because I, because I don't have a lot of faith in myself. And I don't mean this in like a real weird self-deprecating way, but because I'll never have the ego that a lot of people either assume I have or want me to have that whole concept of fame and, uh, recognition and, and sort of like the known quantity kind of thing, it will never really affect me because I just, I just don't have those bones in my body. Right. And you know that. And, and, Mm -hmm. I know the people who know that know that and anybody else who doesn't or thinks something or thinks one way can spend all day thinking that, but I know who I always will be. And, and, uh, I, I, thankfully I have people like you and, and the rest of my good friends around me that, that, uh, treat me exactly the same way they've always treated me. And, and I think I treat them the same way I've always treated them. And, and there's like a kind of a, an understanding like me, like a, a for example for me would be, Oh, you yeah. just said like at that Greek show and how I was able to here's my friend Ben Harper. Well, I, I felt just as strongly being able to say, here's my friend Ben Harper comes up and plays with me. I felt just as strongly about introducing the dudes in my band to you stage saying, here's Ben Ray, because I look at you or my relationship with you in the same light or the same regard. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's not higher just because of the, the amount of uh, with shared you. history. Yeah, the shared history I've been through yeah. with you is is something that I think also shaped maybe the person that I have become or that I am. Like things, the things that we went through together back then, you know, when we were kids, trying to figure it out. Right. So that's kind yeah, of just yeah. how I I I go about my my daily business. And I know I because it, 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 it was. It, <laughs> 
it really didn't make sense to me just as an outsider. Like I just, I remember when we uh, hung out in, in Southern Ontario and, you know, went out to, to dinner when I, I was just up there for work or whatever. And then having people, you know, recognize you, um, and obviously your, your, your future wife at the time where it was like, you know, you both were known quantities and quote unquote celebrities within the, uh, you know, Canadian system. And so it was weird for me to be like, uh, oh, oh yeah. Like, yeah. I guess that that's something that you have to, you have to account for now. Um, I, I was like, it makes sense from a factual perspective, but it was, uh, it was strange because obviously this was something that was thrust upon you as opposed to like, oh man, I'm, you know, six years old. I'm going to be a star. Yeah, exactly. See, it's like I always say, like, I think, I think fame isn't, isn't, uh, I think famous or famous, the word famous, like it's something that you have to decide that you, you want to be, uh, and that you decide that you are. And, I, I still, I just don't think that of myself. I, I think more like I'm a musician who some people know, and because of that, some people recognize the face that comes along with the voice, and and that's sort of how I've always approached it. You know, I, I think, and I think that there's a different mindset for people who who want it and who want the attention and who think they genuinely deserve it, and and all of that nonsense. You know. Um, Right, right. I, I think yeah, I just, for sure. Yeah, like I don't know. I'm not curing cancer. I just play my guitar and sing. A lot of people do that. Kind of hitting on the point that we were talking about earlier. The um, just because you know you and I, like you were mentioning, the shared history, and obviously, like when I went out with you guys on that Hot Water Music tour in 2002 or whatever the hell that was. The difference between obviously your rising currency as a band everywhere else besides America. Um, was so uh, startling just to see in, in I'll never forget like the uh, well actually this was on, when we were on tour with you guys Taken and we played yeah like you said Rochester like the bug jar and it was like you know the show was sold out and it was like oh my gosh like 200 people came across the border to watch Alexis on Fire like this is a like a big deal and like you know then we drive two hours away from that and it would be like oh cool here's the 50 to 70 people we're used to playing to i'm sure like during those times did it ever feel to you kind of like you know the darkness of being like oh god like do we have to tour the states again do we have to do that like i don't really it's not good for my mental health to do that yeah it definitely got that way with us uh, a lot and and it was it was difficult because we liked going and playing in the States and, and it's like, we liked that even though there was, you know, a quarter, let's say a quarter of the people who were coming to the show that were coming to shows everywhere else in the world. We still liked that those people liked the band, you know, and like, but then it's the point where it's like, well, cause then you start to think, okay, well, we're doing this for a job. Now. This is our living. Are we throwing away opportunities elsewhere? I, slugging it out and playing for the same hundred kids again and again, not to mention how long it takes to tour America because there are so many people. So then we start, yeah, we started right. kind of like just not forgetting about it, but just deciding, well, we'll go there. Maybe we'll go the cycle. as much as you don't want that to affect you. It, it's easily easy to make the decision. Where do you go? You go where people are listening. Right. And that's where everybody else was listening. And I mean, it wasn't really upsetting to us because I think just knowing the, Sometimes things doesn't, especially with music or I guess with everything, but with music, especially sometimes it just doesn't translate to a certain group of people, you know? And I think there's probably a time where we were a little bitter about it. Maybe, maybe on that, around that hot water music tour time, I think cause we were, that was like maybe the second record and, you know, be obviously seeing other bands that were in our same sort of wheelhouse exploding in America. We were kind of wondering mm -hmm. what, 
what it was that we didn't have. But then I think after that, when we made Crisis, I think we had grown up a little bit and we had been through some stuff, obviously, with like twitching drummers. And I think we just decided that it wasn't going to happen and we were fine with it. Like you made peace with it. Yeah, exactly. We made peace with like the America's just, it's going to be a hundred or 200 kids a night, maybe 300 on the coasts. But other than that, that's what we got. And we're going to go there once on a record and we'll have some fun. We'll bring our friends and you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all, it's, yeah, you like know, that, that's that. Yeah. I mean, and we did like, I remember doing, um, I mean, it, it there was definitely a couple of things I, I would say, you know, without pulling any punches, there was definitely a couple of American tours that probably were responsible for me really deciding that I was going to quit the band. I was going to bring that up because I, I totally, I mean, you and I, obviously, as, as we toured and hung out and um, having those discussions with you in regards to like what you wanted your future to be, not so much the fact that like, oh, I hate what I'm doing with Alexis on fire and I want to focus on my solo stuff because that's going to just bring the most to me because that wasn't, that was never your case. It was just the struggle of like, all right, this is the history that I've built with this band, but like I want to explore these other, you know, nuanced sounds that I can't explore within the context of this. And I was like seeing the writing on the wall in regards to your feelings towards continuing on, especially like when you've been dealt these, these blows of just like, well, this isn't healthy for me to do that. And like you're saying, those, those United States tours would probably pushing you in that direction. Yeah. The, the, the main one was when we did the whole warp tour uh, on the crisis tour. I remember that, um, my creatively, my brain started going really away from, uh, the heavy music. And it was like, again, it wasn't, it wasn't because I didn't like it. It wasn't because I wanted to distance myself from it because I still listen to music like that. I still love it. But just creatively, my when I picked up a guitar, the last thing I wanted to do, and you know, probably being on Warped Tour didn't help because it was just this like barrage of noise. And all I wanted to do was I wanted to write the farthest thing from a song that would end up on Warped Tour, I guess. Which is sort of when I started writing all the songs for Bring Me Your Love. But that tour being so long and dredging and unsuccessful, I will say, you know, you know, we didn't, we spent two months on that tour and didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we maybe made enough to pay for our travel and you start to think to yourself, okay, cause now I'm like, I'm 28 years old. I'm married. I'm just spent two months away from my wife. Make any like to not do anything. Like, what did I just do? We didn't really make any fans. <laughs> we didn't like, what am I doing here? You know what I mean? And, uh, and it was just start. It was things like that. And then obviously the city in color first record had come out and it had started to do, you know, started to, create the whole other side of things I could look to. And that's mm-hmm. when I started really having to, I started really having the long conversations with myself about the, what, the, what, what do I want, you know, or can I do? Kind yeah. Of. Yeah. To what direction you take in your life? That is obviously like, it's going to bring you, uh, the, the joy that you're looking for. It's going to keep you, you know, mentally healthy. Um, cause yeah, it's like, it's, you know, all those things like it, it, it no matter what, it just takes a toll on you when you are, like you said, when you have when you have nothing to really show for it besides like the cool travel experiences, which you know that's fine, but it's like you know that's you're getting to see parking lots across America. Yeah, like, exactly. Is, is that really something that is is you know uh, you know going to make your heart leap when you look back on that? It'll be like, well, uh, that's rough. Like, yeah, and, and especially like if you like, I always said like, man, if I was 20 years old 
and I was single and I was just like a kid, uh, Warped Tour seems like the greatest idea. I'd already seen all those parking lots, you know, many times. And I had, right. you know, we, we had been touring a lot for a long time. So it was, yeah, things like that started to, the allure of the travel and the road, if you've done it for a long time, you know, certain parts of it start to really wear on you. You like you were mentioning, obviously the rise of of you know what City and Color was doing and the attention that was was happening, um, and you obviously being thrown in front of people that were so removed from the context of what you had existed in for a long period of time. Not the idea of like playing shows, but just the you know whatever the DIY basement show, like whatever punk culture. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that you uh, you know the people that you kind of like? got along with in this this different world that had that sort of DIY experience kind of like you gravitated towards or you were like oh wow like you played you know terrible shows as a singer songwriter that you booked yourself you know two months a two month tour across coffee shops or whatever like did you find people in the you know larger ecosystem that you were attracted to because of that yeah I mean I think like even if you look at like right now like the band that the band that I have playing with me like Doug from the Constantines so it's like you know, I mean, he plays drums, but he was in Constantine, who was maybe the greatest Canadian band of all time. But they also, in the, as the, you know, just a punk rock band, and you know, did all the same stuff that we did. Toured, played for nobody, and um, he just happens to be able to play drums any way you want him to. Jack, who plays bass, was in the Greenhorns, who played, you know, were a band in the mid '90s and played for nobody forever too. And you know, obviously, he went on to be in the Rack and Tours, and now he's in, you know, the Dead Weather and things like that, and he's a lot more accomplished, but find that in everybody, really. Everybody who who I have, anybody who I've met and stayed in contact with is because we all had the same sort of shared experiences. Now, I've definitely met a lot of people in this because of the, the direction I've gone and definitely a lot of, met a lot of the people who, you know, the first time bus, first tour bus fans and the sort of major label this and that and the, you know, but those people I don't really, I just never, I just don't have anything in common with, you know. There was that, but it, right. you, you do find. I think. I think if you if you search it out, there are the you know the people that you have something in common with that in, in every walk of life. So I've been lucky enough to find a bunch of people who you know didn't come from what we came from. You know, like my, right. my guitar player Dante, like no real idea of punk rock or that style of music. Like he just wasn't there for it, didn't listen to it, came from a completely different world. But you know, he also his band that he was in when when I met him, you know, toured for put up three records and toured for five years and, you know, played a lot of shows to nobody. So, right. I, and like booked their tours themselves and drove the van and did all that. So yeah, I've, I've been able to sort of find those like-minded people. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's a prerequisite that you have to have to be a friend of mine, you know, no. you have to no, have not gone through that, <laughs> you know, but it really right. does help everybody. It helps right now in the world I have surrounded myself with, like all of my dudes, on my crew and everybody in my band, it helps that we all have the shared experience of failure because it allows us to really appreciate what is going on now. You know, whereas I, I you, you meet, you meet kids, you meet kids in bands or people who work for bands who, who have just lived this super comfortable existence. It's okay, but I don't really have anything to talk to them about because they just, it just doesn't feel like they've earned it. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. 
Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. I think you've always done a really, really good job of not only like exposing who you are as a human, but just showing the fact that um, just because that I am up here in front of 2000 people playing my guitar, it doesn't make me any different than the people that are in the audience. And I think you've always done a really good job in the context of that to just be like, when you do, when you do have an interaction with a person who is like looking at you, you know, with these like wide eyes and are just like, Oh my God, like there's Dallas. I don't know what to do. And then you just either try to diffuse the situation of just like, well, like, hey, like, nice to meet you. Like, I'm a, a regular human. Like, yeah. I'm going to have a drink of water right now. Like, <laughs> the, um, it, it, I find it so, like, I, I just, I, I still don't understand how that, that, um, that idea still perpetuates itself where it's just like, I'm doing the, like, I, I would be doing this regardless of, of who's in front of me right now. It just happens to be that a lot of people are paying attention and like, I'm a real human just as much as you are, but it's sometimes it's, it's difficult to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it one of those things like because of the sheer volume of your audience, you obviously can't have those individual interactions? You know, what other things you try to do to obviously like, you know, convey that message? Because I know it's important to you because otherwise it just seems like you're this, you know, whatever douche with a beard and a, a funny hat who's up there on the stage. And it, does, it doesn't differentiate you from anybody else that's doing the same sort of stuff that you're doing. Exactly. Um, so like, wh- yeah. So like what what sort of, you know. What what things do you try to find that you try to uh, you know either convey whether it's like musically where you're just like I'm going to concentrate on this music or I know it's a complex question but I just I, I know well, it's important to you so I know uh, you, I wanted to put it out there. I think um, well like you said the conversations are are important when 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 I find myself in a situation with somebody who's I guess for lack of a better term starstruck or you know, I, I just try to bring it d- down to a normal conversation because that's all it should be because I'm just playing guitar and singing and you happen to like it. But the reason people, I feel like the reason, uh, the reason the douchebag in this world 
like this musical world exists is because people treat them so differently. And it gives them a reason to feel like they're special and different. I don't want to ever feel that way. And I don't think people should make other people feel that way because you can like something, but you don't have to treat them like they're this superhuman because we're not, you know, people who, people who sing and play music aren't any different. I just happen to be okay at that. This, like I always, uh, you know, I talk to people, I'm like, you know, I go, what are you good at? Are you good at science? And if somebody's like really good at, I'm like, well, you go to university, what do you major in? And they tell me, and I'm like, well, I can't do that. And they're like, <laughs> what do you mean? I'm, really like, I'm like, I can't do that. I could never do what you're doing. I'm like, just, this is what I, I've been doing this my whole life. And it's the only thing I know that I'm, I'm remotely good at it. Some people like it and, and it's great. But, you know, but because of the nature of the beast where I, what I do um, allows me to stand up on stage in front of a bunch of people and, you know, have the spotlight on me or us, it, uh, you know, it changes the perception of the way people, the, the way people think. And it, and it gets a little bit, uh, I don't know, it can get really confusing to a lot of people too, right? Because they, they have this intimate relationship with something that you've created. I, I don't know if that was ever the goal for me. I, I, I wanted them, I want people to like what I do, but I also write it in a way where I have to like it first. And then if I can get a song to the point where I really like it, then hopefully somebody else will like it. Um, but but certain things you do have this this crazy effect on another person and they feel like they have to try to explain it to you. And I always tell kids, like, you know, if somebody says, I don't know what to say, I'm like, well, you don't have to say anything because music, listening to music isn't about describing how it makes you feel. It's just about how it makes you feel. And that's, if it makes you feel something, then that's great, you know? So just say thanks, maybe. That's good. And then we'll check hands and do a selfie and then that's it, right. you know? So, it, it, but that's it really. And, 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 and it, um, I guess it's all about just trying to, and I don't, and it's hard because the hard conversation to have without trying to, I don't want to dismiss the feelings that these people are having because that's pretty special. That something I, some song I wrote in my living room has made this person so wonderful that they don't know what to say to me. And I think that's really awesome. But yep. I also want them to realize Ab- that. Absolutely. I also want them to realize that they have to be a part of it as well. You know? Like them listening to that song and having that moment is just as important as me writing the song because without them listening, then it's just a song. It's a one-sided relationship that that once it enters the real world, there are uh, repercussions for it, and it's having to navigate those relationships that you build. Like I said, on a one-sided perspective, where it's just like, all right, your feelings are valid. Like it's awesome. Don't don't look at me like I'm a deity. Look at me like I've been able to create a piece of art that you can consume. It just happens to be that mine is music and it's not like a painting on the wall that you will probably never meet that artist for. Um, we're, we're begging for that, that sort of uh, interaction where it's just like, you know, if you have a person that goes up to you that likes you because of your music, it's like, well, that, that's amazing. Like breaking it down where it's just like, all right, dude, like I'm, yes, I've got a good voice. Like, yes, I have these, these capabilities and these things that I've worked on for my whole life. But there are things that you do that are just far better than anything I could ever do. So, like, let's just let's leave it at that. Yeah, it's just it, it, yeah, it's just we are because of the nature of what I am, the age old like put the person up on a pedestal type thing, and and it is you know it right. is based on mass consumption as well, right? It's like a school teacher is just as important, but a school teacher is just this thing that happens all over the world every day, and nobody seems to really care as much as they should, but because I sing a song that maybe a hundred thousand people liked, 
immediately look more, at. Like it's more relevant. Correct. Yeah. And again, like that, again, that has to do with the person you are and what you want out of it. So if I was a different type of person, then I would, you know, milk it and take it for all it's worth. But I still just like, I don't know. I still think I can do better and I still try to every time I do it. You know, I don't think because somebody likes a song or a, that doesn't mean, okay, like here's a perfect example. I've won two songwriter of the year awards at the Junos in Canada that didn't immediately make me a better songwriter. Do you know what I mean? That didn't make me, I don't look at those awards and go, okay, well, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I've won these awards. I, I don't have to work hard anymore. Whereas I think there's probably some people who win things like that and go, oh, finally, validation. I'm great. I made it. You know, and I, right. there's just, I think, yeah. a different approach to how, how, you, how you like let all these things uh, affect you. I think most people uh, that would obviously just like look at you from the outside um, would, you know, you, you you seem like a very, you know, calm and, and cool and collected guy, obviously, as, as well as I know you. You're, you know, there's this like this sea of, uh, you know, sort of, I wouldn't even call it discontent, this sea of just like sort of pseudo anxiety that's obviously like, it's because you're so invested in what you're doing. Um, there's this, uh, yeah, like I said, this this bubbling that always uh, has manifested itself inside of you that it's like uh, everything you're you're doing is is you like we were alluding to earlier. You're so critical on yourself. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? Like, you, you, I mean, uh, for as long as I've known you, you've just beat the absolute crap out of yourself, and it's yeah. it's more nuanced now where you're obviously less anxious about that. But I'm sure it manifests itself in different ways now. Oh, great! I would say it's way worse now. <laughs> Okay. All right. All yeah. right. I was I was hoping you'd calm down, but I guess not. No. You know, I, I I'm not too sure where it comes from, to be honest. I think what it is is I'm so terrified of being that person that we're talking about. I, I think I'm so terrified of being complacent or uh, or just uh, I'm so terrified of of becoming this person who feels like they've earned, they've deserved they deserve it or or something like that. I feel like by constantly shitting on myself and knowing that I can do better, then I will do better, I guess. It's not a great way to be, and it's not like a very happy existence, but for what I do, it allows me to, like whatever it is I'm looking for as far as songwriting or singing or performing or whatever it is, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is I'm striving to get to, acting this way allows me to consistently write things that I feel are better than what I did before. And does that make sense? The validation of a bunch of people liking what I do doesn't mean anything to me. It's that surprising feeling of writing another song that I go, fuck, I love this right now. Mm-hmm. No, I'm probably not going to like it tomorrow. Just just knowing that I that I want to do better. I, I don't know. I guess that just is right. And then for some reason, I've created this way of being that that allows me to do that yeah well hear, hearing you articulate it, it it makes it makes more sense to me where it's like it, there's there's that level i mean honestly it's like self-preservation in a way where it's yeah. like you've keyed into the fact that you want to play music this feeling that has manifested itself inside of you allows that to occur in what you define as successful terms exactly yeah like to think of like uh, neil young one of my favorite lyrics of all time is it doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you and that sounds like it's a super dick line like i I don't give a shit what you think but it really i approach it as all i do all of this so i can have some sort of inner peace that what i'm doing is right for me you know and then the bonus of that is that i write these songs that some people find very relatable and 
and can help them with whatever they need to help them with, you know? And that's sort of, I think that's why I, I do what I do. And yeah, it just sort of manifests its way, itself in this real hard ask type. It's funny. It's funny too, because I, I think it, I think it works on, on a different level as well, where it's like, even though you take what you do seriously, you don't take yourself too seriously. No, you know? not, not so at I, all. So I think yeah. it, there, there's like no fear. Like I, in observing you from the outside of obviously your, your, the success that you've had, there, in my mind, I've never been concerned that the next time that we speak or see each other, that you're going to be a shell of a human. I've always been like, well, no, because it's like he just finds the shit funny. Like yeah. when, when I go into a local Starbucks in America and pick up the you know, single of the week card, it's like, oh, there's, there's Dallas. Like I never thought I would have a friend on a Starbucks download card. I'm like, I'm sure you would look, you look at that opportunity and just like, oh, that's funny. Like, yeah. That's, that's weird that that can happen. Yeah, it's just sort of one of those things where you go, oh, okay. Put me in front of the other. It's like, oh, okay, Starbucks. People go like sure. that. That's I'll, go, I'll go ahead and do. Basically, I want to hit on, on two last things, and then I'll I'll, I'll let you go. Where uh, it's, this is a pseudo hackneyed question, but because you've you've always struck me as a person who um, you know is emotionally intelligent, um, but not uh, necessarily one that's ever obviously cared about uh, schooling, so to speak. Did you even go to college or anything like secondary school or anything like that? Oh no, I yeah, uh, that's what I thought. yeah, I finished high school and then. I just didn't have that. Um, I, I, there were so many friends of mine that were leaving high school to go to university and college and, and to take things that they had no interest in, but they had to go because everybody in their family was sort of saying, well, that's the next logical step you have to go. And I just thought, well, the thing that I'm really interested in is playing my guitar and writing. So why don't I just kind of do that? And uh, if I'll do that for a couple of years. And if that doesn't work, then maybe I'll start thinking about um, some other line of work or whatever obviously now retrospectively i'm sure your parents are, are very happy of the decisions that you've made but i'm sure in every early iteration of what you were doing creating music i'm sure in some respects they were just like dallas is probably going to be an abysmal failure in some capacity um, oh, of course were, were they just terrified were they were they dissuading you from it I, no they were very supportive because that's just how they had always been and like you know as long as i had a job which I did, you know, I, I, as soon as I, I mean, I had a job in high school and then when I graduated, I got, you know, a more full time job. And as long as I was making my own money, you know, it wasn't a lot, but as long as I was able to provide for myself and then mm -hmm. they were, they were, they were with me, you know, taking, taking those few years after high school to see if I could get something going because I guess they looked at right. it like, well, he could go to college right now and be completely disinterested for three, four years and something that he, you know, all the while trying to work on this thing that he's actually interested in in you know in the wee hours of the morning or something um or he can really go for it and, and see what happens and and that's what i did I, I still you know obviously i still end up working on these when the hours of the morning is when i get most of my work done now but right. um right but yeah so they were they were always very supportive of, of the idea that as long as i you know as long as i didn't just become some like you said like as long as i didn't just immediately become an abysmal failure and, and not really do anything, just sit in my basement, play my guitar and hope for someone to knock on my door. I think that they were fine. Right, right. I think they too, they probably saw that I was, I was, I was pretty driven, you know, I, 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 thankfully I've always had that in me is the, the want and the drive to, to work at it. 
Yeah, it had, you you haven't been uh, crippled by the the fear of showing people your stuff. It's it's just the idea of like uh, I'm I'm getting it out there, and like you yeah. have that inside of you rather than yeah, just like I'm like you said, I'm going to stick in the basement, and someone someone will discover my talents at some point. Yeah, exactly. I, I loved. I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, mention one of your current musical projects that you uh, obviously did with uh, with with Pink and you and me. Yeah. The reactions that were had from, you know, universally speaking, was like, you know, people were very positive and kind towards it. But there were a lot of people that were just like, who, like, what is this? Like, yeah. Why, why would Dallas do this thing? Like, well, this is so strange. And it was like, you know, I mean, it made sense to me because obviously I've known you've been friends with her for quite some time. Um, was it, was it one of those things where, uh, the, the feedback that you were able to kind of like receive and see was just like, just pure, like, oh, that's weird. Like, how's yeah. that happening? I, I loved it. I mean, because I mean, obviously I knew where, what was going to, uh, what was going to transpire when the news came out. It was funny to see the different groups of people, like the different groups of my fans, I guess we'll start with, you know, like, okay, let's say the, the fans I have in America who even though I do well in America, I'm still this sort of like underground sensation because I don't get any really mainstream attention in America. So they see me doing this record with like a pop star. It's like I'm selling out, but really they don't realize that in Canada, I am that, you know? And, and so it's like, right. Like, it's like these people are like, what is he doing? He's selling out. He's just doing it for the money. And meanwhile, I, me and Alicia just did it on a week and during a week there was no mind involved. I didn't sign to a major label. I just made a record with my one of my good friends, and like, sort of like, it's funny. Like, it was the least planned thing I think you've ever done in this business. Like, we we just hung out. We didn't tell anybody about it. We just hung out and wrote some songs, recorded them, and told everybody like around us that we'd like to put it out. And you know, the people who heard about it and thought that it was this master plan from labels and you know, like the boardroom meetings and things like that. It's like all of that stuff was just super amusing to me because I I love to read things that people like I'd love to read people's insight into what they think is actually going on <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's so oh, completely <laughs> wrong. Yeah. You, you, like you said, it's just this, this masterminded where it's like, all right, let's pull these two, these two artists together to do this thing. And like, they'll, we'll be able to take over the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, uh, you know, it's funny. Like we just, you know, we made the record, we put it out and, and played a show and now I'm going, you know, going to the studio in two days to start making a sync all record. But everybody just assumed that I was done with it. And I heard a lot of stuff that like people were like, Well, why did he quit a left on fire? He's I thought he didn't want to do two bands. Why is he doing another band all of a sudden? And it's like, Well Oh. I'm not. I just. I didn't. I know. I didn't even think about that. Oh man, you got you got to love the got to love the internet. Yeah, you got to love it. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to address was the the fact that obviously you are a uh, well known sports fan, and the fact that you you've professed. I mean, I, I've known it for a while because obviously we've we've discussed it. But the um, I mean, for one, you obviously have to be kind of uh, the heir to the Toronto Raptors throne of Drake, I presume. That's kind of like what you're angling for right now, so you can, you know, eventually when he re- when he retires, you'll you'll step in, I presume, right? Well, see, I I don't know. I'd like to think that I was always there. I was but I'm like, you know, again, I'm in I'm the right. I'm the independent category uh, <laughs> candidate. He's the the National Convention Democratic nominee. I'm the independent, you know. I've always been there. I'm totally. I buy my tickets. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not, uh, you're not placed there to, uh, to garnish the uh, attention of uh, Kyle Lowry and uh, Patrick Patterson to be no. like, oh, damn, dude, look at that guy here. You know what's funny though is like, of course, this is perfect, 
example of my life, but the the moment I leave the city to go live somewhere else during the winter, they have the best season in the history of the franchise. That's very telling where you're like, all right, well, I've been living in Nashville. All right, well, Toronto's going to go on a tear here. Yeah, and it's good, though, because I kind of feel like it's res- responsible for it. Like, I had to leave in order for them to be as good as they are, and I'll take it. I watched my NBA league pass, and everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. And then you you can uh, you you can see them when they uh, come to Memphis, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm gonna go home for the playoffs, definitely. You know, because like you like you mentioned, you obviously how long you've been married now? Six years. You know, you you've you've had to consider someone besides yourself for a, a decent amount of time. Not only just like as far as your livelihood is concerned, but just you know the uh, the relationship and the maintenance that it takes to you know keep a marriage awesome and growing you know it's something that i noticed that you mentioned in uh other interviews was the fact that's like you know because both you and her have lived such a transient lifestyle of you know touring and then obviously her uh hectic schedule was it was it one of those things where um obviously you knew what you both were getting into but uh those times where it was just like did it feel difficult to like actually build that sort of relationship initially because you both were so uh you know obviously in transit to so many different places or was it just kind of like when you were both present in each other's lives, it was like, so there. Yeah. I, I think that it was a little bit of both, but mostly I think the relationship starting that way in the, like the, okay, well, I'm home for a week. Let's really hang out. And then I'm gone for a month or whatever. It it did really like sort of, you know, that the cliche of the distance makes the heart grow fonder. Like it really did help us appreciate the moment when we were together a lot more, I think. And I think, I think it probably allowed for us to stay together this long. Um, and then now we just, you know, we've set, kind of, I guess, settled down, I guess I could say, you know, cause I'm touring a lot, but not as much, but, and when I do, she's usually right. comes with us now. And, you know, we've come down to Nashville and really, since she stopped working in that business and it's really just been like, since we've been down here, it's funny. It's like, like Leia said something the other day to me that she was like, I feel like we just started our lives and that, you know, we've been together for nine years, married for six. And to be able to say that right. that far into a relationship is pretty, it's pretty cool. You know? So I think that the way as hectic as as being at times, I think just the amount of shit we have dealt with and been through, in that time has made it stronger, I think allowed it to, to grow. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a really, uh, that's a really important point. It's something like I've always uh, reflected on myself because like my wife and I were married, we'll be married 10 years this August. And it was one of those things where we waited six years to have a child. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it was like, we felt that our relationship was, was built on a solid enough foundation that we could introduce a third party (laughs) to this thing. Um, and so it's obviously it's like what, what you guys are doing now where it's like, you're like, all right, well now, now that we feel like our foundation is, is, is planted. Now we're kind of like turning that next chapter in our lives. And like that, when you reach that moment of like, Oh yeah, that's exciting to kind of like look around that, corner you know exactly yeah no and it's cool to to just yeah to be able to to look around and and see a new just to see something new there you know like especially like i i don't know like i i always wanted or always thought i would end up living somewhere else or always thought i wanted to move away from toronto because i never you know as much as i lived there i didn't really necessarily think it was my home because it wasn't my home i didn't grow up there you know i just lived there because my wife worked there but moving here to Nashville, it really has, 
like it's probably the happiest. I know we were talking, we spent a whole conversation talking about how unhappy I am, but it's probably the happiest I've, I've ever been in my life, you know, and feel at home. Right. Right. I mean, that, and that's super exciting because it'll, it'll, uh, you know, it'll rejigger the way that you are obviously creating music, uh, from a place of like, uh, for lack of a better term, like stability, you know, exactly. Yeah. That, that kind of put, it puts you into a more, uh, for lack of a better term, like mature headspace as well, where it's like, yeah, you can write music that will be identifiable to a 60 year old the same way it can identify to an 18 year old, you know? Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, the stability of feeling at home and, and even just like going into the studio this time with my band, you know, I haven't done that in, I haven't done that since I made an Alexis record because every sitting color record has been different. Um, but just having like the band that's been touring with me for two years, going into the studio and making the record with me, like there's something really solidifying about that as well. Yeah. I feel like has taken the music to a whole new level. So yeah, I just feel overall, I feel pretty stoked about what's going on. Which is not a nice way to feel because I'm used not that. And you don't feel that way. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 incredibly exciting. And I, Dallas, I really appreciate you hanging out with this because I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm so glad we're friends. I'm, I just, I'm so excited for everything you've been able to create, and it's just, uh, it's awesome. And I'm, I wanted, I, I wanted to have this conversation and record it because I think it's just a, a, a great way to showcase people, like obviously not only who you are, but just the fact that it's like, well, you've, you know, you've, you've remained unchanged through the, the uh, surroundings that you've been thrown into because of your music. So I really, I really appreciate you doing this, Dal. Oh, thanks, Ray. I'm, I'm glad to have done it. So there was that. That was Dallas. What a dude, right? Just incredible. Yeah, I'm just, I'm thankful that he wanted to do this. He just took some time out of his day and uh, yeah, we did it and it was great. So thank you very much for listening. The producer, as always, for this show is Tom Richfield, best friend forever. And visit the show's website, 100 Words Podcast, and please donate. I encourage you. I know I had a plea at the beginning of the show, but I'm just, I'm, I'm doing it again, just to remind you. So without further ado, here's the end of the show. <laughs> and be safe, everybody. I'll talk to you next week. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings.